Today's podcast is officially sponsored by My Crew Doses. Yes, your ears do not deceive you officially. Amanita muscaria. That is a mushroom, ladies and gentlemen. And this particular blend helps you sleep, helps you rest. Slip like a log. I think I, I tallied nine, maybe ten hours of straight sleep. Usually I get up. Usually I go up to go pee. Not this time. I didn't check my bed. I might have wet myself, but it doesn't matter. I got nine hours of deep sleep. Vivid dreams as well. So if you guys are interested in this stuff, you have to be 18 or older to use this, by the way. If you're interested in this type of thing, go to mycrewdoses.com. And at checkout, use promo code THE CHAMBER. Get you a little 10% off. Welcome to the Curiosity Chamber. All right, three, two, one, boom, and we're live. Peter Young, appreciate you coming here, man, spending some time with me. I really uh, appreciate that, man. Jay, thanks for having me on. It's a pleasure. Of course. Yeah, so let's talk about this, man. You, you lived in a tiny religious cult for 20 years, but was finally rescued. And then your story kind of exposes how secrecy protects cults and then how to recover from that. Yep. So I unwittingly married into a cult when I married the love of my life. This would be 26 years ago. And I knew even before I met Paige uh, about the weird uh, family guru, quote unquote, that this guy told me about, you know, the Clausen family, that was her maiden name. And um, and I fell in love with this woman immediately. Like within two weeks, I was 90% sure I want to marry her. But I had to meet her father because she talked about him all the time and this mysterious Uncle Robert. And he wasn't related at all. You know, he was born and raised in Syria. My former wife and I were both, you know, Northern European, typical Paul, you know, she's blonde hair, blue eyed, those kind of looks. And um, I did meet him before we got married, and I, I really missed the mark. I kind of thought, you know, he's, he's odd, charismatic, uh, but not a danger. Hmm. And then I found out, nah, I was wrong. You know, over, you know, 20 years, he just slowly but surely, you know, took over every aspect of our lives. And, and it wasn't until I really, you know, kind of, I basically got kicked out of the cult when, when she left me. She left me, oh. uh, started telling the kids that I'm, I'm the devil, and... Um, that I really, the Lord opened my eyes and ears to the truth. Because I always tell people, Jay, you never know you are in a cult. You only know you were in one. Because That's cult thing. about mind control, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of people don't know they're, they're within the cult, you know, before it's like too late, you know? And so what kind of people do they look for to be inside of a cult? Like what, what makes it attractive for the cult leaders to go out and basically recruit, I guess? Yeah, good question. You know, um, first of all, cults come in all different shapes and sizes, right? So some are big, some are tiny. Ours was tiny. Uh, there's a guy named Stephen Hassan, Dr. Hassan, who's kind of one of the cult experts in America. He wrote a book, Combating Cult Mind Control. And he said, you know, the biggest change of the last few decades is the rise of these tiny little cults like ours. Ours was like less than 12 people, probably. I mean, you know, maybe six or seven adults and some kids. Do you know and, how many people were in the uh, Waco cult? That was a smaller cult, wasn't it? Yeah, so that would be David Koresh and the Branch Davidians. And, and <laughs> yeah. under 100 people, but I, oh, wow. I want to say there was probably a good 50 people that died. So it was probably between 50 and 100. Okay. Yeah. Whereas like, okay, Jim Jones and Jamestown, you know, drinking yeah. the Kool-Aid. That was close to around 900, I think. Maybe a little less. Don't quote me. But there was a lot of people there. And then there's like, you know, the, the Moonies, Scientology. Now you're talking thousands worldwide, right? 
Um, but they, ours they got like, memberships. They got like the platinum membership, and <laughs> <laughs> we didn't have that. Yeah, we didn't. We didn't have to <laughs> of the credit card. No, um, <laughs> no. And, and and I also tell people too. Listen, it could happen to anybody because nobody thinks they're joining a cult, right? Like nobody says, "I'm going to join a cult." They think they're joining something else, uh, right. following the real church that knows the true gospel or an enlightened business development group, et cetera, et cetera. It's only when you get out and the mind control doesn't have any control over you that you look back and say, oh, yep, I was in a cult. When you're looking back at these things, like, are there tall, tall signs that, that you can, that are pretty much like you couldn't question anything, you know, and then when you look back at it, retrospect, oh, I was in a cult. Like, yes. Yeah. So again, even though they do come in all different shapes and sizes, there are some clear uh, similarities, let's say. And, and our little cult and Uncle Robert, we checked all the boxes. So cult leaders are narcissistic, uh, charismatic, yeah. have a grandiose sense of self. Uh, the cult leader makes all the rules, but they don't apply to him. Mm. Um, and yeah, you're not allowed to question the cult leader. And Robert Booty checked all the boxes. Yeah. So uh, did you ever find yourself questioning him mm. or were you just so far immersed that you just followed? I was probably only truly brainwashed for about, let's say, two and a half to three years tops. Whereas prior to that, you know, for the first five, 10, 15 years of our marriage, I went along to get along. And so I was mm. always asking questions. And so therefore, I was always kind of on the hot seat and my wife would, you know, continually be probably disappointed in me or embarrassed of me because I didn't just believe and listen. You know, why don't you just trust him? He knows more than you. And I would always ask questions. For instance, he thought that all of recorded history was really uh, a struggle between um, the descendants of Jacob, greater Christendom, and uh, Esau, who becomes Edom, who becomes modern Jewry. So he was a raving anti-Semite. So all of recorded history was the Jews trying to take over the world. And I would be like, what do you mean? Like, where's the evidence for this? Like, I'm, I'm willing to listen, but uh, this doesn't sound right to me. Interesting. And, yeah. And, and because I would ask questions, I was the bad guy. And is that what ultimately did you in that? Like, that's why they want, wanted you out because you, you know, were, were taking your own opinion and you were trying to question some things that probably no one has ever questioned. It, it's interesting. Once you start questioning things, there's always this defense mechanism that happens. Then, you know, the, the cult leader usually doesn't appreciate that. And they'll, they'll try to ostracize you. Yeah, exactly. So uh, most of the, okay. So I would ask a question, right, Jay. And then the answer was not so much, well, let me explain it, Peter. It was, why are you so dumb that you can't understand me? Uh, like, so there's that authoritative figure going oh, on there. Yeah. Like again, yeah. if, if you can't question the leader, but somebody does, well, there's gotta be an answer. And the answer was always, um, you don't get it. It's never, oh, you know, yeah, my, my, this idea might be a bad one. No, no, it's you don't get it. And so in the eyes of my former wife, you know, yeah, I was just never mature. I never got it. I was never truly uh, sold out for the, the true faith, which was not, I believe, the Christian faith of the Bible, but more of the doctrine of rubber booty. What were some of the wildest practices that you could remember within this call, if there were any? You know, uh, so there were some weird ones for sure. Like we, yeah. we there was no uh, sexual abuse. There was no physical abuse. You know, my wife and I, uh, I mean, I was completely 
uh, faithful to her our entire marriage, did not want the divorce at all. And really over the last few years, tried to even get along with, with Uncle Robert. But uh, he, uh, let's see, he taught all the men we had to sit down to pee. We couldn't stand up to pee because that was too Whoa, messy. yeah, that's a weird one. <laughs> um, <laughs> casinos uh, are the true churches in America. So the churches that people go to on Sundays are a waste of time. Casinos are the true churches. You're saying also, casino? Yeah, casinos. Yeah, yeah. So the idea, the idea was that um, anybody could go to casino, and regardless of your success or your bank account or whatever it is in life, you could be quote unquote blessed by the Lord. Which, okay, but you know, I see people worshiping money in a casino, not the Lord. And uh, and and oh, by the way, Uncle Robert was always broke. You know, go figure. Of course. Um, Let's see. Oh, he also called them uh, his office. So, uh, you know, if they went, ever went to the casino, because you know, we lived in Idaho, Montana. And so there's a casino on an Indian tribe in northern Idaho. They would go there all the time. And that was the office. Yeah. Uh, what else? Well, there was a bunch of other stuff like that. I mean, it was Nothing just- ever like he didn't try to sleep with everyone's wife because that, that usually happens within cults. Like that's, um, you know, that seems pretty standard within cults. There's a lot of, yeah, let's say sexual inappropriateness in cults. Thankfully, in ours, there was not. Um, you know, w- would he do things and say things that were, again, like if you were to come over to dinner to my house and said some of these things, I would have been like, you know, thanks, Jay, but you need to leave. You're like, that was inappropriate. Well, th- that never happened with Uncle Robert. He could do or say anything. Now, thankfully, he didn't do anything bad, but he would say some stuff that was Again, let's say inappropriate for kids. So here's a wild story. So in 2016, you know, the big story in the country was Trump versus Clinton, right? And he was a huge Trump fan, mostly because he despised Clinton. And so we would have these little conferences in Northern Idaho, my former in-laws, which is basically him talking for hours. And we would just sit there and listen to him. So he starts describing the hyena pack uh, in Africa. And then how the dominant member of the pack is the female who's given birth a couple of times. And the female hyena, after it's given birth, develops this pseudo-penis. It's kind of this fleshy thing that looks like a penis, and it's bigger than the, the poor male hyenas. So oh, the male hyenas like, lick the groin of the female as a display of submission. And he then Jeepers. applied that to Clinton, to Hillary Clinton, that you know she is this female hyena ready to dominate the world stage. And it's like... I, you got to look back at it laughing at that, but it's disgusting. And my kids were listening to this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, oh, yeah. That's strange. Yeah. It, it, but thankfully, there was nothing, you know, there was stuff, there was other stuff you'd say, mm, creepy, yeah, uh, but illegal, no. You know, weird, creepy, odd, yeah, but illegal, no, thankfully. Did, uh, did Uncle Robert, were you able to to know if he was creating this cult based on any other cults that were around like was there a blueprint that he was going off of or like how did do you know how he started this or why what his intentions were yeah boy great question no one's ever asked me that so to your first question i don't think so um i don't think there was any other kind of blueprint blueprint or um because there was no name to our cult or church so it was just him it started when he met my former in-laws at a tiny seminary in southern Well. I think it's uh, Fresno, California, uh, before my ex-wife Paige was even born. So like late 60s, wow. early 70s. Yeah. And then Robert just kind of glommed on to my former in-laws because they were very, you know, a young married couple at the time and uh, kind of started at that moment, this kind of parasitic 
dominant relationship where he was just uh, always knew better. He always knew better than everybody. And, um, and so then people would say, well, what's in it? What was in it for Robert? Because like we would all tithe to him, which, you know, is, is a practice in the Christian faith where you give 10% of what you've made as a way of saying, thank you, Lord. Mm, and yep. um, we would all tithe to him. Now, none of us were wealthy, so he wasn't getting wealthy. I just think it was the um, being able to control people and being able to be revered and adored and idolized, which is what we did to him. And that's, he must have just loved that, I guess. I'm just trying to wonder where it stems from. Like something had to have happened in his childhood to where he wanted to grasp that power and wanted you know, control and over know. people. Like it, that's kind of like now we're really digging deep into the weeds. Like how does this, how does the narcissistic, because they all are, right? All cult leaders are narcissists. They all are, yeah. yeah yes. are, yeah. So like, yeah, what happened when they were growing up uh, formative that made them be this person, David Crest, Jim Jones, et cetera, in their 2030s and, and later in life? I have no idea. He, Robert grew up in Syria and by all accounts, now again, he would always tell these stories of his parents were these wonderful people. Maybe they were, I don't know, but he grew up in Syria. So that's an area that would have been dominated by, you know, um, anti-Jewish thought and you know, obviously pro-Muslim. So uh, he would probably have always been in the minority because he grew up in a Christian home. So I, I don't know. Well, uh, do you think that he actually believed in what he was preaching or do you think this was all just made up? I think he did believe it. Uh, I th well, I would say he believed the core, his core philosophy, which would have been mostly Christian. But, you know, in, in Christian thought or in, or in the Bible, what it says, and not just thought, but that's there in black and white, is that there's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus. So you don't need an intermediary. You don't need somebody else. You don't need a priest. You don't need, you know, someone else to get to God, right? You got Jesus. Okay. So you don't pray to somebody else. You don't need to confess to somebody else. Now, yeah, if I did something to you, Jay, hey, I stole. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm, I confess to you, right? Please forgive me. Okay. That's different. But um, so Robert would have taken basic fundamental and, and sound Christian um, doctrine, but then twisted it and give it his own perverse twist to it. And boy, it sure seemed like he believed it. Did he have his own books? Did he have like a bunch of scriptures? Stuff along those lines? No. So he hadn't written anything, although he always talked about he was going to take the Bible in, um, oh, um, what, uh, um, Arabic. Sorry, the Arabic. Yeah, I was going to say, what, what would an Islam, a Muslim right, right. read? Yeah. Arabic, yeah, Arabic. So he feels like the Arabic translation of the Bible is the purest, the most sound, and he speaks Arabic. So he was going to translate it into English, and, you know, I just, we kept waiting for this, you know, to happen one day and who knows if he's ever done it. That was, that was the closest he ever came to writing a book because of course it, it was going to take him so long because he was going to, you know, provide his notes and interpretation of every verse, which, oh my gosh, but he would read a lot and he would have us read the books that he read, which was, you know, fine because again, Jay, the, the one thing to point out is, you know, cult leaders don't just lure you in by spouting utter nonsense, right? Like, I don't think I'm that dumb. They sound really good at first. They share oh, yeah. the truth. And then over time, they slowly twist it. You share the truth. And then there's this sense of community. And it's people that you link with and match with. And, you know, there's there are a lot of positives I see in a cult. But then it's, it, there's always this weird turn it takes. And it usually has to do with power, control, sex. And you have to give money to them. And it's just... 
Well, it always takes a weird bend. And I think you make a great point, but I'll change the wording a little bit. There's a lot of good in things that start out not as a cult, but then morph or metastasize into a cult. Like I remember I used to think, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a mentor. Like Uncle Robert was a mentor. I used to think that early on. He was my wife's mentor. He was my in-law's mentor. Okay, you and I would both agree having a mentor is a great idea. But then it became more and then it became, you know, worse. He became the cult leader. So, like, let, let's try to establish this real quick. What is a cult exactly? Like, what's the definition of a cult? And if, if you don't know, I can look it up. But because, like, when I hear cult, like, would being would being in a like a karate dojo is that a cult? Okay, another great question. Oh, sorry, you got some good questions. So, I think you'd get a lot of different definitions for cults. I would lean heavily on Doctor Hassan. He wrote; he's written three books. I'm actually reading another one of those books called The Cult of Trump, which I disagree. Like, I love Dr. Hassan and his writing, but I completely disagree calling Trump and his followers a cult because somebody else wrote a really good book, some lady that grew up in a cult. It's called Uncultured. Very good book. Look it up. And uh, she grew up in a a really bad cult, definitely a cult. There was sexual abuse, et cetera. She got out as like a teenager, came to America, and then joined the army. And so then here she is, Jay, like first week of boot camp, you know, like in Paris Island or something, and all these... Instructors are screaming at her, and she's mm-hmm. like, "Did I just join another cult?" <laughs> right, and right. It, and so, and through the book, she makes the point that no, it just because you might have a really strong dysfunctional culture that's different than a cult, right? So, like your karate dojo that you brought up, you could have a very intense and dysfunctional culture, but that's different than a real true cult. And I thought that was an important distinction to make. So what do you think the the difference between – like what, what exactly pushes a cult over the edge to make it a cult from this dysfunctional group? Undue mind control, coercive, manipulative uh, mind control from a leader who does not have your best interest in mind. Would you think that – see, this is interesting now. Wouldn't you think that the military can be considered a cult since they're trying to recruit 17 years old people that can't really think for themselves. I mean, their frontal cortex is not even developed yet. And there's a bunch of incentives that seem like they, they are lies because when, when people come back from the military, they're usually disheveled. And a lot of them go homeless and they were promised something. And then within, within boot camp, I mean, their whole mind is changing, you know, to, to someone who, who thinks they know better. And that's the chain of command. And at the very top of that chain of command, they don't, Personally, I don't think they give a shit about these little grunts within within the military. You know, it's just you need more bodies to to try and overtake these geographical the, places. Yeah, where you know, the enemy is, right? Where um, the enemy is. And, and I think that, so. The lady's name is Daniela Young. Daniela Mestanik, I think you say it. Young. Uh, she did a very good job in her book because she was in the military. She was in the army for maybe eight to ten years, and and. Um, I would say that, you know, number one, the people who are, let's say, training the, maybe not cadets, but the soldiers there at Paris Island or, or at boot camp, you know, are, are fulfilling a job. They're being trained, they're being paid. And their goal is to improve uh, this soldier so that they are a better fighting force. People may disagree with that. That's a good thing or not. But the goal of those people is to improve this person so that he or she is a is a better soldier. 
And I also think too, because you do have this chain of command, which I've never been in the military, so I don't really understand it, but there is a chain of command. I know that, um, that you have accountability, right? You have mm-hmm. accountability through the ranks. Cult leaders are not accountable. Um, so, you know, nobody, um, in the military is unaccountable. Like, I mean, even, um, the five-star general, whoever is like, even a guy like Eisenhower, or what's the better example of the Korean war, um, was it not Patton, the guy that waded ashore uh, to the Philippines, who the President Truman fired? So in other words, like, and I've totally draw, drawn a blank on his name, but all military officers are eventually accountable to somebody else, and cult leaders are never accountable. Interesting. That's a good point. Yeah, I was just playing the devil's advocate. My dad was in the military, so I have nothing but respect for these people. Well, I just wanted to try, you know, it's interesting conversation. Just Yeah. How come I can't think of the guy's name? You would know then. He was, um, during World War II, he got kicked out of the Philippines because their force wasn't strong enough. And then he came back and waded ashore. Not Patton, not Eisenhower, but MacArthur. It's MacArthur. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Nice. You got it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) That's interesting. That's it. Yeah. This was just like live in my mind as we're talking about cults i'm trying to like just decipher what's a cult what's not a cult the accountability thing is huge yeah they really don't take accountability like they are the the last stand like they're the only person that that they answer to well and and and, okay so another characteristic and again these are not across the board pretty darn close (laughs) of every cult leader and one of them would be gatekeeper to god so there's grandiose sense of self and gatekeeper to god Okay, so like with with Robert Booty, again, like in our little cult, no one was really saved until you got saved by him or he approved, which is kind of like one and the same. So like, you know, here there is, there's like, there's God, and then there's like Robert Booty and then the rest of us, right? So like he's, he would not have like probably consciously thought and said to us, I'm God. Maybe David Koresh and Jim Jones said that, but he never did. But Hmm. boy, he was pretty close. And if you think that way, you know, who would you answer to, right? Right. Yeah. Do you see anyone right now that seems like they're trying to play God or or you can see them trying to start their cult of some mm-hmm. sort? I don't. You know, another point that I, whenever I share, when I go on podcasts or in my book that I wrote, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger – or if I go speak publicly, one of the points I like to make is, well, there's, there's, there's two of them. Number one, uh, you know, this could happen to anybody, right? Like I never plan on joining a cult and I never would have followed this guy if it hadn't been for my wife. I went along to get along. Yeah. Yeah. But number two is that they can hide at least small cults. They can hide in society really easily. So like Jay, when, when she left me, my wife left me and I was totally beaten down emasculated. I couldn't sleep. I couldn't, that was a wreck. This is six years ago. And I finally, you know, told my family and other friends and they rallied around me and supported me and the Lord strengthened me. And I finally told people at my office, like nine months after she left. And I thought for sure they would know, you know, like I would show up to work with puffy red eyes. I'd go for long walks. And I told them what was happening with my family and my marriage and nobody knew. Nobody had any idea. Wow. So the point is, you know, if uh, the guy that cuts you off on the highway or the rude grocery clerk, right, at the store, you never know what they're going through. So, you know, be kind. But also just realize that, I mean, th- this Robert Booty, Uncle Robert, his neighbors probably have no idea what's going on. 
That's so the wildest you, thing. I always yeah, think yeah. about that stuff. I'm like, how many murderers have I passed on the street? I just don't know. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> yep. Or, you know, uh, you know, like for me, I'm single now. Um, you know, has there been a time where I like almost, you know, bumped into or walked to, or passed somebody on the street that I will marry one day, right? Like I always think about that kind of stuff. Like that kind of yeah, stuff yeah. fascinates me. Like you have childhood pictures of you and then in the background, someone that you're going to marry. Right. <laughs> I've seen yeah. a bunch of those. It's kind of cute. <laughs> well, I tell you in my book, and I'm not trying to push my book too much, but I would hope. People oh, we're going to push it. it here. Okay. <laughs> uh, again, it's called Stop, Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. And so you're thinking, well, what, why did you pick that title? Okay. It, it's a bizarre and fascinating story that I won't get into too much because I want people to read it. But uh, Paige, my former wife, had this fascinating dream before we met, like right before we met 27 years ago. And Uncle Robert was able to take that dream, wrote this huge, like 23 page letter, crazy letter, and turn it on its head, completely changed the meaning of it. And to this day, lives are still being affected by that. Whoa. And so I, I read the letter once back in 1996 and I found it again many years later. So again, like, you know, you're looking at some old photograph. I found this old document and my jaw hit the floor because I finally saw what it really meant. And it's fascinating. It's tragic, but fascinating. Jeez. Wow. What a realization. Yeah. Good Lord. What kind of, uh, so back to this cult, what, what was the religious that was, or the religion that was preached? Like what, ex what exactly was it going on in there? Well, we were Christian, so, you okay. know, non-denominational. So, you know, we weren't, you know, a bath, Baptist or Methodist or this or that. We were just Christian. We would probably consider ourselves more Christian than anybody else. Um, but, you know, there were certain parts of Christianity that I thought, I, I think Uncle Robert or Robert Booty was correct. I, I appreciate what he shared. But then he took some of the more really core foundational beliefs of Christianity. The, the, the biggest one meaning being, you know, you don't need to do anything to be saved. It's a gift. You can't earn it. Like in, in Christian thought, the idea is that we are sons of God, right? Okay. So let's say, Jay, if your parents were rich and they bequeathed to you a ton of money, right? Like Donald Trump's parents or other rich people's parents. Right. Did you do anything to earn that? No, you couldn't pick your parents. That's the basic foundational principle of Christianity that, that we get picked. We, we can't earn it. And Robert Booty's theology really kind of changed that. And that's, that's wicked. Did you, so did you grow up Christian or? Yeah. Was, yeah. You did. Yeah, and, I, and I remember one of my sister-in-laws thought, you know, I should have really expounded upon that in my book that I grew up, uh, again, we're not perfect, but you know, I grew up in a Christian home. My, my parents are still together, still alive. Yeah, uh, I was the youngest of five boys. We went to church every Sunday, which again doesn't mean we were perfect. Just means we were trying to get taught right the Word of God. Uh, went to Christian camps as a kid during the summer, and you know never knew anybody in a cult. Um, had never ever thought in my wildest dreams that I would be part of a cult because I was old enough. I'm probably a lot older than you. I remember Jonestown. I would have been like eight or nine, maybe. I remember that's fascinating, man. That, that's an interesting thing you just brought up that you've you've seen cults and you're like those. Yeah, people are nuts. yeah. <laughs> I mean, like, okay, like if you're if you're my, I'm 55. If you're over 50, you know, it wasn't like 9/11. Like, do you remember where you were that moment? It's not that big a deal, but you remember it. I mean, that was it was sure. crazy when that happened. Yeah, 
Yeah. I mean, it, the remnants are still echoing, right? Like, there's so oh, many yeah. documentaries still coming out this day about Jonestown. It's so crazy. Yeah. And and then, you know, from there, it would have been, I'm trying to think what the next big one, whether it would have been Waco or Heaven's Gate. I think the Heaven's Gate folks. Is that the like, one where they wore, like, the Nike shoes? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's oh, a good one. <laughs> I think those were in the 90s. Uh, and I'm sure there've been many others. Okay, you know the Moonies have been around a long time. There's a lot of yoga instructors. Yeah, yeah, and their cults. Yeah, uh, and I, I listen. I do think there's a chance that uh, the word cult can get overused a little bit. Like again, Dr. Hassan, who I really admire. I do not think Trump and MAGA is a cult. You, you can disagree with Trump all you want, but I would not call that a cult. I I do think the word can get a little overused. What That's, do you think the Trump thing is? You know, it's a good question. I'm, I'm only a, a little bit ways into the book. And um, and listen, like I, I would be MAGA. I would consider myself MAGA only because of all the people that absolutely hate and despise him. I mean, listen, if I were to work for Donald Trump for a day, I don't know if I would last a day. I'm sure in person he's not the nicest guy to be around. Yeah, he might fire you. Yeah, he might fire me. I might quit. <laughs> the I, apprentice. I, I, yeah, like, trust me, I am not like, I don't worship the ground that this guy walks on, nor do I think a lot of people do. I think it's more along the lines of there's so much uh, hatred and um, frustration with, let's say, permanent DC that we look at a guy like Trump and think, well, he's fighting them and he's a fighter, so we'll back him. For me, that's it, right? Like, I, I don't go much further than that. There's. Too much like um, you're either on this team or that team. That's what I don't like about what's going on. I mean, there's, there's it's like everyone has to think for themselves. You can like parts of the left side. You can like parts of the right side. But ultimately, what people need to do is make a decision for themselves. Just don't like it because your team says so. And that's where we're getting into this weird area. You know, everyone's on teams. And I and I again, I'm only about 50 pages into Dr. Hassan's book. And, and much of what he is saying, I would say, well, uh, it's accurate, but you could, like you just said, you could say it about the other team. You could say it about Obama's fans. You could say it about any politician, really. I mean, you could, yeah. Politicians do kind of oftentimes use the same playbook of division, right? I mean, they, they divide. Yeah. The cult word might be getting thrown around with the, with Trump because of how extreme things take it. And it, it I don't know if this is just a narrative because we know who, who owns the, the media, which is generally the left side. So they'll push everything and anything to, to give this looking like it is a cult to looking like the mega people are a cult and that people just hang on his every word and just listen for what he's like tweets out or says, and they'll run right to it. And then of course the, um, I think it was January 6th, like that whole thing doesn't help either, but it, it, there's just a lot of conspiracy. There's a lot of, left versus right and pushing out these narratives to make one group look horrible. And, you know, I, I just try not to get immersed in that stuff just because I, how can you even know nowadays what really is true? There's a problem with so much information out there and a lot of it's bullshit, but some of it's true. We have to do a lot of sifting through information to figure out what's true. I think that's a, that's an issue that we're trying to learn real time. You know, I, I would agree with you. Information is usually a good thing. The more information, the better. But we, we do get inundated with so much information. I don't remember where I heard this, but I heard it many years ago that the average American 
in, I think it was the 1700s, in their lifetime would either read or have access to as much written material as one edition of the Sunday New York Times. Whoa. I thought thought that was amazing, right? Yeah. We have so much information bombarding us on a daily basis. It's incredible. I mean, you can't keep Oh, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'm just worried that I'm going to, like, my brain's going to automatically just push out stuff that's, you know, that's important to me just because I'm overwhelmed. I mean, when you have a, a cell phone on your side 24 hours a day and you're just reading information nonstop, and listening to podcasts nonstop like I do, it it becomes worrisome. Like, I don't know what information I need to keep and what information I need to, to let go. It is overwhelming. Right. And, and and I'll say this, Jay, and I realize this is not a religious broadcast, but for me as a Christian, there's there's a verse in, in James, the you know, book of the Bible, it's James chapter one. And, and I'm paraphrasing, but he says, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God and he'll give it to you. But you have to believe, you can't doubt, right? So... I ended up doubting everything. That's what cult leaders do, is they make you doubt and question and fear everything, and then they swoop in and give you the cure, right? Like it's, you know, again, the doctor gives you the poison, then they give you the cure, so that you elevate this person. So I no longer look to my former wife or, or Uncle Robert or anybody else for wisdom. I pray and I know the Lord gives it to me because I believe. So the roundabout way of saying, we all need to have discernment. I get discernment through my faith. Meaning, I know where I need to go for good information, and I know what I should stay away from. And that, I think, is the key. That's good. I have a, a question here that just came to my mind. And but I don't mean any offense by this. This is just, I ask questions that come right to my mind. Okay, is this, so if God were to come down and you were able to meet him, what... Why wouldn't that be a cult? Like that's the man, that's the man or woman of, of it's the leader, right? It's the all end all be all. And you're, you're basically hanging on every word, listening to them. Why do they know best? Wouldn't that be a cult? Mm. Well, um, this is, would be a very long answer, Jay, but I'll try and give it a short answer. I'm not offended at all, by the way. Because okay. Thanks. To me, <laughs> yeah. No worries. To me again, like, um, Truth should be able to defend itself, right? So like, as a believer, I should not be offended by any hard questions because if I then have a hard time answering, there's a problem, right? So I'm not offended at all. Um, But to me, to answer it, you you have to go back to everybody's worldview. And I believe there's only two worldviews. And the worldview, number one would be that there is a God. He created everything. He is sovereign and knows everything. Right. And so therefore, man's ultimate goal or achievement is to glorify God who created everything. Or world rule number two is there is no God. You believe in evolution. Everything happened by chance. There was no uh, intelligent thought given to any of this. And so therefore, there is no God that we have to serve or bow down to. So man's ultimate achievement or ultimate goal or ultimate success would be to be better than his fellow man, to be in charge of his fellow man. Um, And I would much rather live in the first worldview, which is what I do. So to then say, well, if, you know, Garvin would come down in human form, wouldn't that be a cult? With that worldview, God created everything. So it's impossible to be a cult. 
he created everything. He knows everything. Um, and, and I, as a human, I'm thankful that I have life, that I live on a planet that has topsoil and water literally falls from the sky to feed plants so I can eat them. I mean, like you can go on and on and on, right? Like I can be born and have eyes that see, lungs that breathe. And from worldview number one, that all comes from God. Worldview number two, it's all an accident. Um, and so then man can then say, well, I am going to go rule Jay and his family. Well, that's a cult. It wouldn't happen in worldview number one. Does that make sense? It does make sense. But there are some things... I'm not well versed in the Bible at all, so excuse me. But it, no there are some things that you're not able to do. Like they're they're considered sins, right? Yeah. Wouldn't that be a sense of control? Yes. Um, but again, the, the way to I would look at it is, um, and I don't know if you're a, a parent, but like with a child, there I are am, certain yeah. things. I have one kid. He's six. <laughs> okay. So you so you get this. Okay. So again, in in the Christian uh, faith, you know, it's. God is our heavenly father. You and I are fathers of little kids or of teenagers in my case. And there are certain things that that kid, you, you can't do like, listen, buddy, like I love you, but you can't play with that knife or that flame. Oh yeah. Or the car, oh right? yeah. <laughs> so, okay. So people will maybe see these sins as, well, God doesn't let me do fill in the blank. Well, maybe look at it differently. Maybe he knows better than you. Maybe he knows what's good for you right and that's the way i try to try to look at it interesting yeah okay that that kind of resonates because when you say it like that i don't think that my kid sees my family as a cult right right nor does he know what you know nor does he yeah. know what you know right he doesn't know how dangerous the flame is the knife is the dog the rottweiler the car he doesn't understand what i'm trying to give him a bath i'm trying to help you like come on man you literally yes. have poo on you i like just <laughs> like, get in the bath get in the bath man <laughs> so that's why again for me as a christian there's a there's an extreme amount of humility involved in it that i don't have all the answers which again goes to like the black and white of a cult leader who thinks they have all the answers. I see what you're saying. I okay. know I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Yeah. It, being a human being is so complex. Cause then my, my mind goes to like Scientology, you know, and like the creator of Scientology was literally a fiction author. Uh, L Ron Hubbard. Yeah. And yes. this, this book I'm reading talks about him. Yeah. Oh, it does. Awesome. Yeah, and, what are they saying and, about it? Oh, he says he's, he's, he's absolutely a cult leader and apparently like a, yeah. a bad guy, which I, I don't know much about him. Yeah. Yeah. Have you ever dove into Scientology at all, like looking into it? No, but again, I'm old enough to remember on TV, they used to promote that book, Dianetics, over and yeah, over. Yeah, yeah. Like, what <laughs> is this book? I had no idea. It's an interesting one because there's some of the biggest celebrities are involved in this. Yeah. Yeah. And you can't deny how good they are at acting <laughs> and they <laughs> look young. That's a good one, <laughs> They're like 60 and look young. <laughs> yeah, right. Oh, that's funny. <laughs> so let's, let's talk about um, how did you, how did you recover mm. from being in a cult? And was it a hard road? Was it an easy road? What did that look like? Oh, it was uh, incredibly painful. 
Um, yeah. You know, you, you, you trust me, you know, if you have loved ones, friends, family that you think, and we can talk in this in a few minutes about that they might be headed into a cult, going in and out of a cult is not fun. It's painful. So she left me. I was desperate to save the marriage. And at this point, I would have been brainwashed. You know, I was, again, brainwashed for two, three years. And I'm trying to like, no, really, I agree with him. I, I love Uncle Robert. And, and I thought he was going to save our marriage. So I didn't tell anybody she left. She took our three youngest kids. We have five. She started wow. telling them that, no, your dad's a sperm donor and a bloodline and the devil and a sorcerer. She, it was the oh, no. Yeah, it was really bad. Oh. And um, I didn't talk to anybody for months. I couldn't eat, couldn't sleep. I was a wreck. I was never yeah. suicidal. I was hours away from checking into the hospital, probably. I mean, I was a mess. Off, off, found, top, off the, to the side real quick, why weren't you suicidal? Um, my, my faith, because I know yeah. that life is a gift. Okay. And I would never take away or extinguish the gift that the Lord gave me. Okay. So even that, though that's I was a topic I talk about a lot on here about oh, like okay. suicide. Yeah. Yeah. Never. Nope. Never. And again, I was getting one to two hours of sleep a night. And, you know, I don't know if you've ever had insomnia. It is horrendous. Yeah. It's awful. Um, and so you're, I was already emotionally drained and scared and terrified and, de- and in doubt. And then I couldn't sleep. I would lost 30 pounds. So I was 6'5", 170. I looked sickly. Crying yeah. with head, and nobody knew. And uh, so she was basically like, you know, don't tell anybody. You know, we'll, we'll talk to the kids, we'll explain it to them, and then let's give, you know, the kids time to digest it before we tell anybody. That was, was Paige. Wow. And so then I would talk to Uncle Robert, and he was convincing me that I was not truly saved. I wasn't a Christian. I was unable to accept forgiveness, which is a total unbiblical lie. So I am just a wreck. I finally started to be like, you know what? There's something not, not right with this. I called and told my my parents, my brothers, they're all around the country. They immediately supported me because I told them, please don't say anything negative about Paige, Uncle Robert, just support me. And as hard as it was, they did. And then I would pray all the time, like, Lord, please help me through this. And I think he finally opened my ears and eyes to the truth. And I was able, but Jay, it took about a year. It took wow. a year, even though I was only brainwashed for about three, to finally see that Uncle Robert was the problem. He was not the solution. Here I am thinking he's going to save my marriage. And he was the problem. He was the fox in the hen house. And yeah, then, a lot um, of people are in uh, in relationships, you know, a toxic relationships. And they, they'll never see that their partner is the issue. They will never see it. It's easy to see from the outside. But when you're involved in it, it's almost damn near impossible to see it. Well, that's that undue mind control. Uh, at work. Yep. Yes. Yeah. And, and so that's, that's exactly what I had going on. You know, like literally she left me and the day she left me, you know, I was on the phone with uncle Robert for like three, four hours, like be consoled by him, even though he, I don't think ever told her to leave me, but he was clearly giving her the theological cover and ammunition to, to do it. Yeah. Um, and then my family of course saw it right away. Right. Cause they knew about this weird uncle Robert guy. They didn't know much about him. So they had no idea about churches as casinos and sitting to pee and Jewish conspiracy. They didn't know any of that. Because it was Whoa, all secret. They didn't know any of that? No. See, that brings up another point. That's how Exactly, yeah. Let's take that control. avenue. They control their members through secrecy, paranoia, and isolation. So we lived in Idaho, Montana during our marriage. And my family again, my family, when I say that, my parents, my my brothers and their wives and yeah. Uh, nieces and nephews they lived on the coast east coast west coast 
So we just kept it all secret, which of course was, you know, well, Uncle Robert knew about the Jewish threat, so his life is in danger. So don't say certain words on the cell phone, shred your trash, and don't share the truth with, you know, Peter, your family, because don't throw your pearls before the swine. Because it wasn't that Uncle Robert was crazy. It was nobody would understand his brilliance. That's the way it was. There's always that justification. Yep. Wow. So I was totally isolated. So then when Paige left, nobody knew what was going on. I was completely on my own. And I You're in an echo chamber. Suffered. Ugh. It was so horrible. Wow. So like what what conversations would you have with your parents? It's just a normal conversation, but every, like your entire life is pretty much you can't talk about because that's what you were living. That was your life, but you couldn't bring that up to your parents or family. Yeah, you know, so like we would still see my parents and my other you know, brothers and their families at Christmas or maybe, you know, a family gathering once during the summer. So we would see each other once or twice a year and we were polite and cordial and we would talk. But, you know, again, we didn't talk about Jewish conspiracies. We didn't talk about casinos. There was always at least for me, an undercurrent of, I got to hide this. And yeah. uh, I think when they're like, hey, Paul, can you pass the chicken? Paul, how's it going? What are you doing? How's yeah. What's life like? Right. right. <laughs> what, what are you saying? Well, I so I remember I remember when, when Paige left me, my life was a wreck. People would say, how are you doing? And I just had to lie all the time. Like, I want yeah. to say, I'm horrible. Help. And I'd be like, no, I'm fine. Oh, and, God. Uh, it was hard. It was, yeah, it was miserable. Brutal. Yeah. And again, that's how cults uh, control people. So what I tell people is like, well, wait, well, what can you do for someone? Okay. The first red flag is if someone you know has now kind of cut off all historical contact and communication and fellowship. So whether it's Bible study or bowling league, book club, right? They stop mm-hmm. coming, they stop calling, they stop emailing, they stop writing. And now they have all kinds of praise and adulation for a new person in their life. Doesn't mean they're in a cult, but those are bad signs. Wow. And, and, and you have to reach out because, again, the person who is now going down the road of mind control, remember, they don't know it. They think yeah. they're headed towards something beautiful. You have to step in and say and have that tough conversation. Hey, buddy, um, what's going on? Like you never show up anymore. And now who's this guy? You know, tell me more about this guy. Right. Get them yeah. talking. Was there an end goal? Like when you, what, what was said when you die it, within this cult? Was there something other than going to heaven? Not that I know of, but a good question. Okay. There was no one in the cult that was under his mind control that had died when I was involved. Um, again, it would have been, you know, no, you're, you're going to heaven. Um, but boy, thank God Robert got you there. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. Uh, is this cult disassembled or is it still going on to your knowledge? As far as I know, it's still going on. A lot of people ask me, well, what happens when Uncle Robert dies? And I, I don't know. Um, unfortunately, Paige has been. He'll never it. die. Don't you know? They say, well, he'll never die, right? Yeah. He'll never die. <laughs> and, you know, unfortunately for Paige, you know, she's been in it her whole life. And, and, you know, she did a lot of bad things, but she's a victim just like I am. She just doesn't know it yet. Let's let's say that Uncle Robert finally dies. What do you think happens to Paige? Do you think she snaps out of it? Uh, I don't know. What I happens? I don't know. I don't. I I I. Well, first of all, if she were to snap out of it, I think that'd be an unbelievably painful realization. I can't imagine what that would look like because it was painful for me. 
and I yeah. was brainwashed for three years. She's been brainwashed her whole life. So, uh, yeah, it'd be hard. Um, I would hope though for her, uh, that she would snap out of it, but I just don't know. I don't know. And I don't know. You what said you're single for. right now. Are you seeing anybody? No, you know, I still have two kids at home and as a single mm -hmm. dad, it's just, it's a ton of work. Um, you know, it's not that I wouldn't ever, and I hope one day I don't want to you know, be alone the rest of my life, but right now, you know, there are seasons in life and, uh, I'm just so busy. Yeah. Well, busy is good. Busy is good. Yeah. Busy is good. Um, I asked that because I'm just curious. I don't, I didn't want to offend your girlfriend, but it, let's <laughs> hypothetically, if Paige, if, if Paige gets out of this call, uncle Robert dies and then Paige calls you and just has like this, this opening you know, and she, she apologizes and she tells you she was brainwashed. And obviously you would be like, I understand. I, I know, I know. Right. What would that look like? Would you ever consider getting back together if that were to happen? Yeah. Boy, you went straight for the heart here, didn't you, Jay? Holy yeah, I had to. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's, I'm, it's curious. Yeah. So um, here's the way I'll describe it. You know, I did not want the divorce. Uh, it took like three years to finally go through the courts, mainly because of the kids. It got very complicated and it was you know, quite horrible what was happening to them because of the parental yeah. alienation. And I didn't want it. And I, I hate divorce. I hate the idea that I am divorced, a single dad and all that. And I have an ex-wife. I'm divorced as well. That's why I also brought this up. So I would for years. Now, again, you, you may have heard of the phrase, you know, having a road to Damascus type moment. It's from the Bible. So there's a guy in the Bible. It's, he's Saul becomes Paul. He get, completely gets turned around by God. Okay. So on the road to Damascus, you know, the Lord appears to him and changes his life. And I used to pray that Mich uh, Paige would have that. Uh, she would have that moment where the Lord would open her eyes. And it hasn't happened yet, as far as I know. Uh, and it would be a miracle if it does happen, right? Uh, I do believe in miracles. Um, but now it, it, there's been so much water under the bridge it honestly would probably take two miracles. So, you know, for age to have her eyes open and for me to love her again, because I, I, I mean, I, I just don't, um, yeah. but who knows, you know, if the Lord can do that for her, he could do it for me too. You're right. You're right. Thank you for being open with that. I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you very much. It's just, um, it's just a question that I, because I know when you go through a divorce that you have a lot of time to think and you kind of play out your life almost and like mm -hmm. what what scenarios could happen if they were to happen right. it's an interesting thing what your mind does when you go through some hardships oh you know the mind never turns off right uh sure doesn't. i tell you another book i love which you know again eckhart tolle he's a very good writer and you know, there's some of his stuff that's way out there that i do not agree with but uh, it was Robert Booty who said, oh, you should read this book, The Power of Now. I don't know if you've ever read it, but I, you know, the first hundred pages I thought were incredible. And he does a better job than anybody. You know, The Secret, Who Moved My Cheese, all these are the books of describing how uh, fear is having your mind think about possibilities in the future. And pain or regret is where your mind's focusing on the past. Like it's as simple as that, but he does a really yeah. good job of explaining it. It's amazing when you, when you, when you think about it. You only know what you know, and I know it sounds so simple, but it's so true. And there's so many resources out there that you can, I mean, I used to not read a lot. And then I started opening books. I'm like, there is just so much information, you know, and that's why I started this podcast as well, because people have different experiences than me. I only have such a limited amount of experience. I can only experience so much. And there's, 
I mean, whether you like it or not, there's people out there who are experiencing more than you, you know, so go talk to them. It's like reading a new book every time I talk to somebody. And now I get that knowledge. I get to to kind of let that inside of my life, let it resonate. And now I can reshare those stories. Or if I'm going through a hard time, some turbulent times, I can think back onto a story that I had a conversation with, you know, and it, it's it's like therapeutic almost in a sense. I had a wonderful, I was blessed to have a very good college professor. I went to George Washington University in DC and he was a history professor. I loved history. And he said, I'll never forget it. He said, the more you read, the more you will realize how much you don't know. I thought, oh, uh, yes, yes. wonderfully said. It's so true. Bingo. So you, you find yourself reading a lot, huh? Oh, I love to read. My goal is a book a week. I'm really more like one every two weeks. And, and I'm just not a fast reader, but I love to read. I do two little, little two-minute book reviews on my uh, YouTube channel just for fun. Like I'm not yeah. going to monetize it, but I just I read a book and I give a little two-minute review. Like, hey, here's what I think about this book. That's I love awesome. Yeah. There's so much to learn out there. Jeez, yep. that's cool, man. You, you must be a fast reader, my Lord. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like I, the funny thing is I've taken like little speed reading courses before. And I, oh, I'm still slow. I still sub vocalize, you know, like in my mind, I'm kind of reading it out loud. You're not supposed to do that. And then I, I finally watched one video on speed reading where the guy's like, listen, you know, if you're going like a thousand words a minute, you're not reading, you're skimming. I thought, oh, yes. thank you. Thank you. You know, okay. I, I'm Now I feel okay that I read at this pace. Like I'm fine. I don't need to read any faster because I want to enjoy it. Yeah. I have to read the same page like 30 times because each time I read it, I'll have a different scenario playing out in my head. I'm like, I don't even know what's real anymore. Mm. <laughs> like, my mind is so scattered that I'll read something three times and have three different stories play on my mind. Or it's amazing how distracted we can get, right? <laughs> That's for certain. Oh, you're reading something and it's like you're thinking about, you know, the next cup of coffee or whatever it is. And like, Oh, yeah. You? Oh, yeah. So I, I want to know what you did for work when you were within this cult. So here's the fascinating thing is, again, people think of cult members as like, you know, they shave their heads. They wear a fancy robe. They live in, they live a in the same neighborhood or in the same commune. No, no, no. I was a sports broadcaster. I traveled around the country, around the world. I was <laughs> yeah. so crazy. I um I worked for OLN, the Outdoor Life Network, and then other smaller networks. I did games for ESPN three, and I traveled the country. I was doing football and college basketball and cycling and rodeo and lumberjack, you name it. And uh, didn't dare tell anybody about Uncle Robert. <laughs> yeah, yeah, crazy. <laughs> Boy, do I got a story for you? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, no right. one's gonna believe this. Oh, gee. Well, what was your that's, and Go that's ahead. the interesting thing. Sorry, Jane. That's the interesting thing is that um, when I wrote this memoir, uh, "Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger," put it out there on Amazon, and I, you know, tried to, you know, during the launch, let everybody know about the book. And so there was people that I worked with, you know, other people on air, directors, producers. I worked with in TV who had no idea what I went through. Yeah. So for them to read it, they were just, again, their jaw hit the floor. They had no idea. What kind of things were they saying to you? Like they, well, they would first, reach out or no? Yeah. First and foremost, I think everybody who reads the book would be like, I am so sorry. I didn't know because what I went through was, wow. was yeah, I'm much stronger now. I, as a person, I wish I could have learned this differently, but again, you know, Lord knows better than I do. And I learned I'm stronger, uh, but, but most of it was, Hey, I had no idea. And then, and then B, 
I'm, I'm glad you're better. Yeah, I'm glad you're doing well. That's nice. That's yep. nice. Wow. Wow. That's crazy. Did you ever imagine that you were going to write a book? Well, so this is my second book. So the answer to the question is yes. I, my first book is a novel <laughs> about faith and basketball. It's called The Blue Team. And that got released in 2016. And I remember before I released it, Paige was like, oh, you should really have Uncle Robert and my dad read it. So I did. And of course, they ripped it to shreds and almost ruined it. <laughs> Naturally, then, of course. Know. So and then I, you know, I, when I published it, um, Uncle Robert then said, uh, the only reason I wrote it was to try and fool he and my wife and my in-laws that I was a Christian because I really wasn't. Oh, my wow. goodness gracious. So uh, I always, for years, I knew I wanted to write that book. I did not think I would write multiple books, but so now I have two and I'm working on a third and I love it. I love telling stories. You like reading or writing better? Oh boy. That's kind of like, do I like breathing in or breathing out? Uh, well, which one God. is it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just, just I just, I just love them both. Okay. I'll give you the two best pieces of writing advice I was ever given. It's number one, if you want to be a great writer, you got to be a great reader. And then number two, you write about what you know. So I'm going to, I guess, probably take the, the, the easy way out, Jay, and punt and say I like them both. Do you do you ever plan on having a podcast or do you have a podcast? I don't have a podcast. I don't plan on having one. I've been on over 30 podcasts now uh, through you know, the promotion of my book and also the, you know, my, my story is like a cautionary tale, you know, for people to avoid getting into cults and getting sucked into cults. And I'm so busy that I feel like for me, my avenue to share my stories is my writing. And then I go speak publicly and I really enjoy that. Oh, that's um, cool. About my awesome. book. And, and again, the ideas of, hey, here's how you spot a cult and here's what you can do to avoid it. Do you have anything to say to somebody that might be listening who might be in a cult, but they don't know they're in a cult? Like what, what kind of message would you have to them? Let's assume that someone's in a cult that's listening, but have, they have no idea they're in a cult. So no matter what I say, they will still think <laughs> after I'm done that they're not in a cult. Okay. That's so crazy. Then, it is. So then the, the better thing for me to say at this moment would be, let's say there are two people listening and one's in Des Moines and one's in Duluth. Okay. And the one in Des Moines is in a cult. They don't know it. His best friend is in Duluth. Okay, to the buddy in Duluth, <laughs> you need to be bold and courageous and step up and have that difficult conversation with your friend because your friend doesn't see it. I'm not saying that they're definitely in a cult, but if you have doubts and questions and are concerned, don't sit on it. Be bold. Reach out. Here's another great quote, Jay. And I remember hearing this and I thought, oh, my gosh, this, this defines, maybe not defines, but is a great encapsulation of my errors. And it is difficult choices, easy life, easy choices, difficult life. In other words, the difficult, hard conversations that you and I know we're supposed to have, if we don't have them, we're going to have a hard life. But if you engage in that really hard, awkward, difficult conversation that you know you're supposed to have and you have it right away, life will be easier. So have those difficult conversations, everybody. Where is that quote from? It's from an old Stoic. So it's Matt Ferris. I think it's Matt Ferris, the author. He's he's written a number of books on like productivity hacks. 
Uh, no, Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss, Tim Ferriss. You can look him up. He's, he's, he's probably has his own podcast. Very successful guy. He got the quote from another guy who was like a, a stoic and he did a, a TEDx talk on it. And let's just look up Tim Ferriss TEDx and you'll find it. Have you heard this quote before? It goes something like, uh, hard times create strong men, strong men create good times, good times create weak men, yep. weak yep. men and weak men create hard times. Hard times. That's yep. kind of what yep. I was thinking when you said that. Yep. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's spot on, I think. And when I hear something like that, should we try to alleviate that or should we try, is it just meant to be, you know, because like without rain, what sunshine, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Um, well, again, I would, I would also say this too, you know, um, uncle Robert, Robert booty, you know, there was hardly ever any small talk. Like he would, he would go right for the jugular. He would find out your weakest link, your weakest point and go right for it to mm -hmm. manipulate and control you. I am not saying that. I am saying speak out in love. And I am saying having these difficult conversations doesn't so much create easy times. It creates strong people. It creates strong bonds. Um, it prevents people yeah. from ignoring uh, what is ruining them, destroying their lives. So to, yeah. me, that does not, so to me, that is not a correlation <laughs> of have these difficult conversations and easy life makes you soft easy life as in um, you are strong so that the difficulties of life don't seem that hard. Does that make sense? It does make sense. Yeah, completely. Okay. <laughs> Good. What do you, what do you wish someone would have done for you if they could have done anything when you were in this cult that you didn't know you were in? Do you wish someone would have had a conversation with you or, or were you just so far gone that you wouldn't have listened and you wouldn't have believed that it took a divorce for you to, to actually realize. Yeah. You know, and I, and I realized before the divorce, but I know what you're saying. Like she left me. Um, yeah. And it's kind of like what you were saying, you know, with all this time to think, you know, your, your mind goes back and you play the what mm -hmm. if game, right? So for me, the what if game, I, I can tell you this beyond a shadow of a doubt that as long as Robert Booty had this position of authority in Paige's life, our marriage was doomed. Okay. So I can wow. say that with certainty. So, so then I think, okay, well then at what point could I have gone back in time mm -hmm. and tried to help Paige see? And, and you would have had to go all the way back to when I first read that crazy letter about the dream. And it's so fascinating and so amazing. And, and when you read my book, again, you'll be like, I cannot believe that happened. It's, it's the most fascinating thing. You would have had to go all the way back to 1996. And, and, and when did you join the cult? When did you become? Yeah, when I when I uh, first fell in love with her, and I first when I first fell in love with her, and then realized uh, what what Robert Booty stood for, what Uncle Robert stood for, and I didn't see it at that moment. See, that's what's so amazing is I didn't realize it till many years later. I had my doubts. I knew it was kind of weird, but looking back with hindsight, I see I had that moment in 1996 with that letter. So did she. And I believe yeah. 96. So when did you first meet uncle Robert? Which, what year was it? So here's, here's amazing. Uh, <laughs> Paige and I met on a Sunday in late October. Uh -huh. She had the dream probably in September, October. Uncle Robert wrote the letter on a Wednesday, mailed it on a Friday. Okay, yeah. Paige and I met that Sunday. 
within like two weeks, I know I wanted to marry her. I read the letter like a month later. She shows it to me. I'm thinking, this is really weird. I meet Uncle Robert a few months later at her brother's wedding. I'm like, okay, I'm ready to go. We get engaged two weeks later, and we are married nine months to the day when we met. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Life happens fast. Oh, my goodness. And <laughs> and she wrote a letter after, quote, unquote, he saved her. I mean, all this happened, like, in this 12-month period. It's so fascinating. She wrote a letter to him kind of expressing doubt about me. And she never sent it to Uncle Robert. And she saved it, never sent it. And then after she left me 20 years later, she moved back in with her parents. She's going through some old things. And in this old box in the basement, she finds this letter that she never sent. And if I had only sent this letter to Uncle Robert, I could have been spared all this. So then she told all the kids, well, if I hadn't married your dad, you'd still be here. You would just look differently. Oh, geez. Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that... um... Do you think Paige this is a hard question and you don't have to answer if, if you don't want, so. but do you think Paige saw you as a good candidate for the cult? And I know she doesn't think it's a cult, but do you mm-hmm. think she saw you as a good candidate or do you think she actually loved you? Again, you don't have to answer that. It's just, it popped sure. in my head. And I just wanted to. Well, there's two questions there. So the, the one question I can answer easier, you know, do I think Paige loved me? And again, you know, I've, I've gone around and around in my mind on that. I do think for a certain amount of time, yes, she did love me. There's there's no question. At what point did she stop? It's kind of the question, right? Uh, I don't mm -hmm. know. Um, But but clearly she did. Um, Then the other one would be not so much a candidate for the cult, because remember, she doesn't think there was a cult, but was I a candidate for, let's say, a husband that Uncle Robert would approve of? And yeah, that's how we have to look at it. Yes. Yeah. Right. And so that's part of what that letter was that she never sent. So then when she finally, t- literally 20 years to the day, when she found it uh, in January or February of 2017, she sends it to Uncle Robert. And, oh, look at this. And then he said, if I had gotten that letter, I would have never let you marry Peter. I mean, just wow. the arrogance and pomposity of it, right? Ugh. So I wonder what I your wife would, would look like. Well, and I'm glad she never sent the letter because we wouldn't have these five children. And, I know. Uh, so, yeah. so to me, the Lord was protecting my children by yeah. not having kids send that letter. Yeah, it's 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 a blessing, man, having kids. I mean, that's everyone's prerogative. It's everyone's choice if you want kids or not. But, I mean, there's there's just like another part to life, you know, and that's having offspring, I would say, since I have a kid. Uh, being a father is one of the most amazing things I could think of. It's same here. So gratifying. Yeah. We, you learn yourself, you know, you learn from your kid. It's amazing. They're so young. They're so pure and you can just take in so much from them. It's not so much that we're doing all the teaching we are, but how much you can actually learn and how to be a better person yourself from watching something so natural and so full of life and so full of joy and energy and just pure bliss when I look at my kid. Yeah. And you also yeah. realize too, that someone's always watching everything you do and say that little bugger's watching. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. Peter Young, man, I appreciate you being here and taking the time. This was awesome. Thank you so much for being so open with me. I know right. I asked a, a lot of tough questions and you were on the ball Really appreciate it, man. How can people uh, find your book? How can they buy it? Go ahead and uh, take some time to 
to shill out your website, your books, where they can get everything, your social media, if you have it? Sure. So uh, I do have my own website. It's authorpeteryoung.com. Uh, you can go there. You can you get a link to my YouTube site, my YouTube channel, uh, my Amazon page. So both of my books are on Amazon. So it's The Blue Team and then Stop the Tall Man, Save the Tiger. So I would love it if you bought the book, leave a review. I do truly think uh, you will learn a lot from uh, from reading my book. So that'd be great. Awesome. Peter Young, thank you very much. And uh, everyone at home, I'm going to be going to a wedding uh, this week. So the next time that we'll get on this podcast is going to be this weekend. So hope you enjoy this episode. This is wonderful. Peter Young and uh, Uncle Robert, if you're listening out there, uh, do better. Do better. <laughs> Pick <laughs> <right>. up the book. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go buy the book. <laughs> All right, everyone. Take care. Thanks again, Peter. Thanks, Shane.